Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Dodger Dudes Show with former Dodger pitcher Brett Tomko and his Sandlot buddy Josh the Duker Luke. The Dodger Dudes talk Dodger baseball, Sandlot stories from their youth, and share what it's going to take for the Blue Crew to win the World Series. Don't forget to answer our weekly poll question and fan poll on Twitter and Facebook. The Dodger Dudes Show is part of the Believe Sports Network online at BLEAV.com. The Dodger Dudes believe in the Dodgers. Do you believe? Welcome back to the Dodger Dudes on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your co-host, Josh Luke, here with my Sandlot buddy, Brett Tomko, and he's got one of his... uh, Big League Sandlot buddies here with us today. Brett, tell us who you got there in studio, bud. We got Heath Bell along with us today, so it's going to be a fun ride for this show. Yeah, we're going to talk a little closing today, but Brett, let's start the same way we normally do. We're going to, we're going to be all over the board talking about closing today, guys. That's our topic, and Heath's going to take us on the mound quite a bit inside of his head. But Brett, tell me about the first time the manager called you in, whether it was in the bigs or in the minors. I know sometimes I say, hey, let's try this out in AAA or something. Where the guy said, hey, we want you to try closing. What, what, what went on in your mind that day? Well, my very first major league save was a three-inning save. So it was a little bit different. It wasn't, it wasn't like game was on the line, you know, pressure situation. So that, that wasn't a big thing. But I got asked to close in New York um, in AAA for the Yankees. And it was, it was, it's a whole different ball game. And, and, and we're going to ask Heath a lot of questions about that. But hey, just real quick, is that just in case Mariano? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just in case Mariano didn't get his job done. They had Brett Tomko in AAA waiting. <laughs> well, he got hurt once. <laughs> yeah, but it was, you know, it's, it's a whole different ball game. And, and I just remember I did it in college a little bit, but the adrenaline rush was like no other. And, and you know, a AAA closer, not like Heath, who was one of the best closers in the game. Um, so, you know, I, I just got a little taste of it. Going in with a game on the line and knowing it's all down to you is a whole different beast than, than you know, it's one of those things. I enjoyed it for the six weeks that I did it, but I was glad when I got called up and went to the bullpen and Mariano was the guy at the back of the bullpen. But, you know, Heath, Heath is a whole different story. He, he was one of the best in the game. He's a three-time All-Star two times Rolled Aid Relief Man Award, 2009, the D- I didn't even know they had this award, the DHL Delivery Man of the Year Award, the Sporting News Reliever of the Year Award, and led the National League in saves in 2009. So is there anything I left off on that thing? No, no. probably not. <laughs> but that, I mean, those are some pretty high accolades um, in terms of, of being a closer. And he played for five different teams um, throughout his career. Um, so, you know, he's done it all, and, and, and we're very excited to have you on the show. Heath and I have been friends for, you know, we played together. We live right down the street from each other. Our kids are the same age. So, you know, the last few years, we've really got to know each other well. So it's, it's a, definitely a pleasure to have him on the show. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool <laughs> being here. So um, I, think, I think the big thing is, first and foremost, you had a very – tough situation you were the setup guy for Trevor Hoffman um when you were with San Diego and and replaced him so you know I think my first question getting this let off is what were the pressures that came along with that because you're you know Tony Gwynn and Trevor Hoffman the face of of the Padres and you're replacing one of the all-time great San Diego Padres so I'm sure in your mind that was was a tough you know tough shoes to to fill well 
um, setting up for him was, is, was like fun and, and exciting because when I was with the Mets before the Padres in the minor leagues, I had over a hundred saves and they always used me as a setup guy and a, and a closer in the minor leagues. And when I got to the big leagues, they're like, no, we need you to go three or four innings, be a long guy. Can you do it? <laughs> and I'm like, sure, I'll do anything. And, um, and I had, you know, Johnny Franco and, uh, Armando Benitez closing. And then we had Billy Wagner close and, Billy believed a lot in me and he said, you know, Heath, I think you probably set up and close one day and just having that, you know, those guys and Johnny Franco was one of the other guys that goes, I think you got stuff that could, you could close. But the ironic part was all those guys literally thought I was a starter at one time. They were like, you got stuff and you can control the ball. So were you ever a starter in the minors? I'm like, Nope, always a setup guy <laughs> closer. And then when I came to San Diego, made the team out of spring training. They actually told me they're like, okay, there's a, there's, you're going to start off our, probably our seventh inning guy, sixth, seventh inning guy. And then when um, our eighth inning guy is down or, or Trevor's down that day, we're going to ask you to close because you have over a hundred saves in the minor leagues. And we know you can close a game in the big leagues, even though you've never done it. And I just literally looked at the coaches and was like, you're going to let me close. Like, seriously. <laughs> And it was one of those things that was like, oh, man, I, I get to do this. And so when I was Trevor's setup guy, it was literally like I was closing, but I wasn't closing. You know, I was, you know, I was setting them up, but I felt like in my mind, I'm just going to close out my inning and then give it over to that Hall of Famer. Well, I think that's, that's a good point. That's one of the questions I was, I was going to bring up is, you know, as a setup guy, what – you know, I would think most guys, because I've, I've thrown the seventh inning, eighth inning uh, when I was with the Dodgers, and I always felt like there was a, a little different mindset going into that because you weren't the guy where the game was on the line. So, you know, you might have just answered this question, but was there a difference between, you know, setting up and finishing out the eighth inning then, you know, when the game's on the line and it's basically up to you closing the game? Is there a yeah, huge difference? There, there's a huge difference as in if you don't have it that day, you know somebody's behind you yeah. where if you're closing um there's nobody behind you so it's like you if you feel horrible that day you're sick that day your arm's not feeling good you don't have your best stuff you got to figure out a way of doing it where um if you're setting up it's almost like okay if i don't have it that day i'll just try to you know keep the damage down maybe if we're up by two give up one or you know just get in a situation to help my defense bail me out or if i really don't have it and i you know you'll see eighth inning guys look down at the bullpen and if they see that closer, like get up, it's almost like I, it's a sign of relief. Like, okay, as long as I don't give up a home run here, he's going to come in and bail me out. Cause he's the man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a nice lecture. I know as a starter, it was different, you know, a whole different setup and there was a different preparation. You know, my preparation started, you know, very early on in the day by what I ate for lunch and how I was going to warm up. But you know, I, as a closer, I know Trevor had a very specific, um, closing routine. The first three innings, he was out in the in the bullpen. Next three innings, he was in the clubhouse getting ready. The last three innings, he didn't mess with him. Um, you guys, I would say you and Trevor, very very lighthearted, very fun. Maybe different approaches when it comes to, you know, getting ready for the game or going in. What was your preparation on a day to day basis? My preparation was um, have a lot of fun during batting practice. Do a lot of. Uh, you know, pretend like I was an outfielder. Oh, this guy could power shag like <laughs> no other. Heath and I play softball together too. And every time, you know, we're, we're out there, I'm like, dude, play the outfield because no one could so track balls. Like power you. shagging is basically 
running after and sprinting after every ball it's hit in the <laughs> outfield. And I literally would get mad. <laughs> like we get a outfielder get called up to the, you know, from the minor leagues to the big leagues and he's playing center or playing right. And I'm like really ticked off. Cause he's got to, he wants to work on it and learn the new stadium, the background. I'm like, dude, I can't power check. This guy's, you know, playing today and I, I can't run down balls. You know, I always wanted to be an everyday player, but I was a better pitcher than I was a, you know, all around baseball player and where I just loved pitching really. And, um, but I loved playing every position. So that was kind of like my exercise. And then during the game, first five innings, have a good time, fall asleep, do whatever. <laughs> and then, uh, but I always liked being out in the bullpen the whole time. I thought that's why you should be there. I, th- I never thought you should be out there. Just, I know a lot of closers nowadays go out there the last maybe three innings where Trevor was unique. He went out there the first three and then came in, did his routine with the trainers, got ready, and then came out the last couple innings where I really started preparing, watching the game in the fifth inning. You know, I was always watching the game, but really in the fifth, sixth inning, really pay attention. And then I, in about the sixth, seventh inning, I would look at the lineup and find out, okay, who's coming up to bat? You know, I would just say, okay, the seventh inning went one, two, three, eighth inning went one, two, three, then who's going to come up in the ninth inning? And then I would play it in my head every inning how I'm going to get those guys out. And I'd always do the first three guys and occasionally the fourth guy. But um, just because I was always trying to get three get three batters and be done. Yeah. I mean, it's always a luxury to have somebody like you down there. Um, 2009, you replaced Trevor. were an all-star that year. The next year, you were an all-star in 2010. I looked this up because you and I, we've known each other for a long time, but I really started di- diving into kind of, you know, looking at your stats. To end the season, you had 34 consecutive saves converted 47 out of 50 saves overall, which is incredible. Uh, and then you, you, the next season you ended up saving a total of 41 consecutive, which tied Hoffman as the four, fourth longest in the history of MLB, which is pretty – when you start thinking about, like, in the history of Major League Baseball, that's, that's a pretty cool thing. You want to know, the funny part is I had two outs, runner on second, uh, forget who it was, easy ground ball to chase Headley at third base. He picks it up and he sees a gopher halfway to first base <laughs> and tries to hit the gopher and Adrian Gonzalez couldn't pick it. And um, that's what, that was the record. I could have broke the record. It was on Trevor Hoffman day. Oh, that would have been And crazy. then I went off and did like another 20 saves or some odd like that after that, where I could have broke the record and went way off. And I didn't even really know about the record. I, I wasn't big on records. Cause I remember one time I faced Barry Bonds, Clay Hensley, gave the home run for him to tie the record for, I think, Hank Aaron. Right. And I faced him next. And every and I ended up walking. I want a full count that I thought it was a 3-2 curveball. It was a strike. But then got Ryan Klesko out, the next batter. Came, he came in after the game. We won. one nothing. I think it was. They came to me, the press, and they asked me, hey, what's it like? You know, he could have hit the home run off you. And I was like, didn't he just hit it off Clay? Like, didn't he break the record? And he goes, no, that was the tie. He could have broke it off you. And I was like, oh, like, I didn't even know that. Honestly, I thought he broke the record. So I wasn't scared at all facing him. I wasn't worried at all. So um, I just, I was a one-track mind guy. Like, I went out there, I got three outs. Right. So I, this is what I got to do. I'm going to go do it. Well, that's funny. I was, I was looking at an article um, this morning, and they, it was about what makes up a great closer. And there was like five or six different random things. It was kind of a funny article. And one of them was like, 
was like oblivious to the situation. Like yeah. you're not, not really, you're not really realize what's going on, which is great. Cause then you just go out there and you pitch and, and there was a whole bunch of them. One was like great facial hair, made a great closer. <laughs> um, another one was being blind. Actually, you, there was a picture of you on this guys that were blind guys that looked in there and looked like they, they couldn't see the signs. <laughs> Um, Troy, I think Troy Percival was like the best at that. He would look in, you're like, dude, this guy can't, this guy can't see the play. I mean, Troy Percival and Rod Beck were the two pitchers I emulated. And like, I was like Troy Percival and then Beck with his arm swing and kind of long hair, but my wife hated long hair. <laughs> but, um, yeah, those were the two guys kind of like focused in. And, I guess I feel a little bit of Beck in you actually, yeah. now that you say that I would have never picked that up until you just said that. That's totally. <laughs> You had a, you had a lot of interesting little quirky things because we, you were yeah. when you were the setup guy. I was in the bullpen um, yeah. with with San Diego. I remember having conversations with you, and I would imagine it was hard because you were getting the job done as a as a setup guy. And I was always interested. And we had a conversation, and, it, and there was a big thing about Trevor maybe not coming back the next year, yeah. and and you taking the role, and the confidence in of like you know if 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 he's gone. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to get done. I'm going to be an all-star. And I always thought that was like extremely like confident in terms of like, wow, that's, that's great to know and have that. Cause I never always had that confidence of like, I can get this done, but you know, you knew you could do it, which is I think a, a thing with closers too. You have to go in there thinking there's no way a team's going to score on me. Cause I I'm the best, best guy on the field. And it's my, my job to shut this. Yeah. Down. You have to definitely think you're the best. And I think all the years in little league, I was never an all-star in little league. You want an all-star shortstop? No, oh, I, I honestly never played short. I played third base and first. First time I was ever an all-star was in 2009. In the oh, there's a lot of competition in Little League here in the OC, man. He's a Tustin guy, right? And then, yeah, yeah, and then Tustin <laughs> Eastern. But, um, yeah, I was never an all-star. And then in high school, I played, I played varsity my senior year, but played all four years. I played – I was on varsity um, – my junior year, I was on JV. Finally made JV. My freshman year, I was on freshman team. Then I, they called it a frost soft team because it was me and, like, two or three other sophomores on the freshman team. So – and then I walked – you know, walked on at Santa Ana Community College. Then I wasn't drafted. And, and then just how, you know, like how I became a closer in rookie ball, I was setting up the guy. He's a good friend of mine, Renee Vega. And he blew like two games in a row. And then I pitched the seventh inning, eighth inning. And I go, hey, coach. And it was Tim Foley, who was our manager and ex-pirate. And I said, is Renee going out there? And he goes, hell, I want to win this game. You go back out there. Yeah. But in, in college, I was our bullpen closer. I mean, literally, my freshman year, I had like nine or 12 saves, like seven wins or something like that, some, some crazy. I had more innings than any starter. Oh, wow. In college. Wow. Because I would a, come in the fourth inning or the fifth inning and finish the game. So you, you were – well, that's like the new age thing. You have the opener now. Yeah. So And then and you have the guy that comes in and pitches like till the eighth we, inning. We so. had one guy that would go seven innings, and I felt like that was my day off. Oh, I so had to pitch two innings. I'm telling you, the whole baseball world, it's like everything else in the world. You know, everything comes back and trends. You know, oh, yeah. things – that was – it was like Launch Eagle. Launch Eagle's always been around. So maybe maybe the opener had always been around, and, and it started at Santa Ana Junior College. Yeah. Well, we had four <laughs> – we had three starters, but they just the, – the coach was like, you've got 100 pitches, and let's go. So let me, let me bridge that into the obvious thing that our listeners are wondering. And today's there's a lot of media coverage on it. We're entering mid-September, and our, our closer, who's been on a Hall of Fame track, uh, uh, Kenley Jansen, oft compared to Mariano Rivera's cutter, is very similar – 
having a real rough year. And even in Brett's point out, when you look at the stats, it's not quote unquote really rough in comparison, but when you have lost two straight world series and, and you got to win this year, um, there's a lot of pressure on him. And I read an article today that said, as we enter mid September, four of his last 10 appearances have not been in close situations. Joe Kelly and Pedro Baez have by far been the two best relievers the last month, according to the stats. So right now, Heath, if you're a, a closer in this situation, whether Kinley or somebody else, and you're, you're in one of the top two markets, you got the weight of the world on your shoulders because the fans want to want to win four games in November instead of two or three like they did in the last couple of years. What's going through? I, I said to Brett, is there any chance that Kenley Jansen goes to Doc and just says, hey, Doc, just use me how you need me? And Brett kind of laughed. He goes, I don't know. I'm going to ask Keith. So, so let's ask Keith, is there any chance when you're the guy that knows you're the best, that has to win, you're on a Hall of Fame track, but you're really, really having an off year. Uh, if you're in his shoes right now, what's going through your mind and, and what is your position with the manager? Well, you got to have a great, you got to have a great relationship with the manager. But if you go up to the manager and say, Hey, I'm, I'm off, you know, go with the best guy or put me in any situation. You're basically putting doubt. You have doubt in your head and you put doubt in the manager's, you know, head of like, maybe I, I shouldn't put this guy here. You know, maybe he shouldn't be my closer anymore. And any great closer doesn't have doubt in their head. You know, they go out there and they get it done. And I mean, to have all that weight on your shoulders, I, I personally, that would, I would feel like a sense of pride and be like, okay, this is cool. This is, I'm going to have all this weight on my shoulders and they expect me to do it. So I'm going to go out there and do what I need to get it done. You know, if I need to go, um, you know, throw bullpens early every day before I go pitch, if I need to do touch and feel, I need to go do this or that, I'm going to get it done. And it's just one of those things, you know, it's, it's hard to see what a closer is doing because, you know, Jansen hasn't, he's had a good year. He's not having like maybe the hall of fame year that he's had in the past. Um, you know, like you said, the two world series is, um, you know, they're looking to win and they're look they're critiquing every single Avenue, whatnot. And, um, you know, it's just, does he have any doubt in his mind? You know, that's the worst thing that can hurt a pitcher, especially a closer. If you have any doubt in your mind, because there's games that go out there and, Say that you're on the road, the first guy gets on, the next guy hits a home run, you know, say it's the number two batter and the number three batter in the lineup. And then you lose the game, you walk off. The next day, you're up by one or two runs, the number two, three, four spots coming up again. If you don't, if your manager doesn't put you out there, you start second guessing your manager and start second guessing you. But if your manager puts you out there, you feel like, Hey, last yesterday was a fluke. You know, I, I knew what I did and how I made a mistake. I'm not going to make that same mistake twice, you know, and you just go out there where you got to have that confidence day in and day out, no matter what. And you know what, Jansen, Hey, every time he struggles, doc puts him right back at the next day, whether it's a well, safe situation. I think, Dave or not. I think Dave Roberts is a great manager and he knows that, but here's the other thing has Jansen pitching a lot of, you know, I know from Billy Wagner and taught me this, if he hadn't pitched in three days, he doesn't care what the score is. He needs to go out there and pitch. And that's, that's an interesting thing that I want to say. Like when, when you're in a non-save situation, is, this, is the mentality the same to go out there? You see a lot of closers go out there in a non-save situation and give up four or five runs where, you know, it's not the same, you know, dramatic, I got to get this done because, you know, it's just not the saves, not on the line. So, it, I mean. And that's, that's one of the things else I've learned from Billy Wagner. He said, know the score. Basically, you're up by one, but know what the score is. But always tell your head you're up by one and never look at the scoreboard. 
So if yep. you go out there and you're up by five or you're down by 10 or whatever it is, non-save situation, you're still thinking you're up by one. That's hard. That's hard to and do. Here's the hard part. And I experienced this with the Mets organization, your defense, when you're down by five, they don't play as hard. If you're up by one or two, they, they make that catch in the gap. You know, right. if you're down by five, they don't make that catch. If you're up by 10, they don't make that catch. Right. You know, so your defense is, they play a little bit harder when the game's on the line and when the game's not on the line, they don't play as hard. It's not something that they, you know, try to do, but it's just something kind of like, I need to catch that ball. You know, if the ball comes anywhere near me, I'm going to catch it. But if you're, you're down by five, it's like, okay, well, we're, this game is pretty much over. Did you, li- did you like those situations when you're out there non-save? No. <laughs> no. I was going to say, I don't think, any cl- I don't think there's a, a closer in the world that no. you almost feel like you're wasting your stuff. Like, hey, well, I, got, I got so many bullets for the season. So many times I can jack myself well, up. Well, for San Diego, when I was closer <laughs> to San Diego and I got used to this, is our wins would come in a spurts. We would go on the road and, like, lose every game and then come home and win, win five out of seven. So I had to pitch five out of seven days. So it was like, well, hey, do you need, uh, do you need some work? You haven't pitched in four days. I'd be like, no, I'm good because I know there was a wave of wins that I was probably going to have to pit, you know, pitch right. five out of seven days, eight out of ten days, you know, something crazy like that. But also I knew – you know, there was going to be, you know, seven out of 10 days we were going to lose. So I wasn't going to play. So coming down the stretch, um, these last few weeks, I mean, Jansen still needs to get his work in. I know they're trying to limit his innings. They're still trying to get his work in, but it's, it's a different, it's a different atmosphere when, when you know, it's not like, you know, you see those teams that, that are wildcard teams that are, that are, are, are fighting to win every single game. The Dodgers have it clinched. They're, they may clinch their magic numbers one. Yeah. So they, yeah, they're going to they clinch. So games aren't like, I don't want to say crucial because every game's crucial, but you know, he's got to get his work in. So it's, he's not going to be used as often. Do you think that's going to hurt him going into the playoff run where they're going to expect him to maybe throw three or four days in a row? It all depends on his mindset. The mindset. Yeah. The mindset If his mindset is like, they're not going to score. Nobody's going to reach second base then, or nobody's going to, you know, reach, nobody's going to score. That's the, the ultimate goal. Then, then I think you'll be fine. I mean, if he, if Dave is worried about that at all, bring him in with, um, you know, non-save situation, two outs in the ninth inning, you know, you're, you're up by five, bring him in for one or two batters and say, get the job done right here. Right. Right. You That's, know, I mean, bring yeah. him in in the eighth inning and just say, Hey, I want to bring you in the seventh or eighth today. If there's a situation with, I got runners on base and one out and I need an out and I know we're going to win this game and call down the bullpen. And I guarantee any closer would be like, okay, no problem. You know, it's like, but if you're, if Dave Roberts is like telling Jansen, Hey, you know, I want you to pitch the seventh inning and get some work, this and that. And he doesn't say you're still my ninth inning guy. Then there's going to be questions in Jansen's head. Like, am I still the guy? You right. never want to lose that. As soon as like, Oh, I went to Miami and, and, um, uh, our manager, Ozzie Gian, I had one time I went out there and I had, uh, I got to save, we we were up, we won by two. The next day, I got the first the first guy out. Next guy um, walked him. Next guy was a base hit, and I'm like, okay. The next guy was like a pull guy, and I'm like, okay, I can get this guy to roll over. He he came out. I'm thinking he just comes out and kind of doesn't say anything at first, and I'm like, you're, you want to know what bump what bump player are we gonna do? And he just goes, um, I'm taking you out. And he took me out of the game. Next guy ground ball double play out of the game. 
And afterwards I'm like, what's going on? He's like, well, I just didn't feel like you were going to get it done. So then all of a sudden him and I, and I had a rough year that year because it was like, there was no confidence whatsoever. You know, if I walked a guy or gave up a hit, I, it was almost like the manager was like, Oh, let's get somebody up. You know, there's no confidence whatsoever. I mean, not saying I did this, but I could have bases loaded, no outs with San Diego with Bud Black. We're up by one and all right, keep you're, going. It's, it's the, up to you. You're the guy. No We're either going to win or to lose it with you. Right. When you, you, know, you have a manager like that, like that, it means the world to the pitcher. Yeah, I know as a starter, like as soon as you see the guy run down or the guy start scurrying in the bullpen, there's in that bat, there's that little that voice in the back of your mind. You're like, oh crap, yeah. and it's it's a confidence thing. We talk, Josh and I talk a lot about mindset on this whole podcast, and and especially with pitching and hitting, it's a lot of it is mindset. A lot of it is how you go approach yourself, how you approach the game and the situation. And if you don't have that right mindset, and I would imagine as a closer more than anybody that mindset has to be right where you need it to be. Oh yeah. It just, it definitely has to be right there. I mean, it's one of those things where uh, I mean, I had a pitching coach. I don't know where along the line said, you know, if you're up there pitching and you're like, I hope he doesn't get a hit, he's going to get a hit. And if a batter ever goes up there and goes, Hey, I hope I get a hit. They're going to strike out. You know, it's just one of those things. It doesn't go like you got to be believing, you know, if you're facing Kershaw, if you're facing Jansen, or, you know, if Barry Bonds is up to bat, like, you know what? I'm going to get this guy out. He's not going to get a home run off me. He's not going to get a hit. It's not going to happen. All right. So let's, okay. let's lighten the mood for a, a second. We try to do this every show, um, you know, about halfway through and play little games type that thing. Did. So, yeah, there'll be some interesting questions. You can elaborate on anything you want. <laughs> We're going to call this Ring My Bell. Um, so with Heath Bell, here we go. Um, Taco Bell, what's your go-to order? um taco bell i'd probably say two tacos hard tacos just two just two ta- i've i've eaten with you yeah two ta- that's just, just two tacos, two tacos? i yeah. thought you said you learned from uh you tacos. learned from rod bell man he didn't teach you any eating how rod beck. <laughs> rod beck. Uh, beck yeah i don't know i just I always grab two tacos oh gosh yeah. i would i would have I, I do like two uh, two tacos but i i would i would have went like mexican pizza i saw you as a mexican pizza guy for some I like reason the nachos oh the nachos but i uh, for You're some right. reason i always two tacos probably because i'm driving Oh, okay. Most of the time now. <laughs> That's right. We're, sh- we're shuttle services <laughs> exactly. for our kids around here. We, I see Heath and I pass each other, I don't know, pro- maybe <laughs> once a day because we, we both have very distinct trucks. And as we're driving the back road, it's always like, yeah. oh, there comes Heath. Here he comes. Right, um, there we go. Yeah. So uh, next one, I'm actually a Del Taco guy if I have to. Oh, I love Del Taco. Yeah. See, I'm a Del Taco, but it you know, didn't, be- didn't have Bell in the name. So, <laughs> all right. Worst fashion trend, baggy jeans or bell bottom pants? Oh gosh, I'd probably say bell bottoms because I can't wear them. <laughs> I got too big of thighs. You're in the skinny jeans now, or <laughs> no? I just I, I just got to wear regular jeans. Right, right. Everybody knows that Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone. So, are you iPhone or Android? iPhone. Okay. What is your What is your most used app? You think in your phone? What do you What do you use the most during the day? <laughs> Honestly, the most used app is probably the text message or the phone oh, yeah, to call people that's okay that's most used wow, app. That, yeah text message plane i would say most used app probably the i move like movies yeah nobody calls each other anymore it's all it's all text yeah texting that's, or calling all right it. favorite saved by the bell character zach morris ac slater screech jesse kelly kapowski or mr belding 
Uh, well, Kelly was hot, but I always liked Screech for some reason. Screech? I, I, I might be a Zach Morris guy. I don't know. Hey, Brett, I'm more of a Screech kind of an idiot. He lived in P-Town for a while. He lived in Placentia here for a while. Screech, Screech did? Yeah, I don't know. People no, Placentia boy. I didn't know that. I actually ran into Screech in um, Daytona Beach, Florida at a Hooters. <laughs> Total random. It's a minor league thing. Go to Hooters. Screech is in the corner. You were doing an appearance, of course, right? <laughs> I was going for the wings. I was totally going for the wings. Wings um, are actually really good. Though. Oh, the wings are the best. It's the only place I Every man that ever has ever gone to Hooters. Um, not bad. All right, rank these songs in order. It's your last one. Metall- Metallica, For Whom the Bell Tolls. Bing Crosby, Jingle Bells. ACDC, Hell's Bells. Um, Hell's Bells first, then Metallica, and then um, Jingle Bells. Hey, Brett, on that note, I was thinking as you guys were talking about Jansen, we need to put a poll up for a new, uh, a new walk-up song. I mean, when Hoffman came in, the whole world knew it. Everybody was intimidated. Uh, Jansen doesn't have that vibe. He's got, I don't even know what it is. He's got uh, California by Tupac. Yeah, it's time to switch it up a little bit. That worked <laughs> for a while, but we need four victories in November, man. We got to try something new. Let's, uh, let's think of something to throw up there. He's, well, give me, a, give me a song you think Kenley should consider if we're going to put a poll up there. Is there one on the top oh, of your mind that you go, man. man, this song just pumps me up? That just pumps him up? Uh, I, something to get the crowd rolling. You know, um, what was that one song they used to play all the time, you know? Um, but it was, it, was, uh, it was made for San Francisco. They always had that guy in the stands. I know what you're talking about. I can't you know, figure this um, out. It's like believing. Don't stop believing. Oh, don't stop believing. That's actually don't stop believing. That one. Yeah, journey. Don't stop believing. That's actually a good one. Journey actually made it for San Francisco. They were talking about San Francisco, but everybody knows it for LA. Well, Steve Perry's, I think, a San Francisco guy. I think. Yeah, I think because he used to come around the clubhouse. But Dodgers, when we were there and playing, they always did it, and dude, it pumped me up. I like that. You know, people may be doubting jansen a little bit and it's a little reminder, like, hey, don't stop believing in me. I like that. Actually, this is one thing I found out. Um, and I don't. I don't know if you know this. You probably know this, but so Trevor was Hell's Bells, and then yeah. when you came, people started referring to your saves. And I don't know if this is just something I read as Bell's Hell. Yeah, you heard that. You've heard yeah. that before. I was like, I have never heard that before. Yeah. So they just flipped it around. They they used the Hell's Bells, but now they called it Bell's Hell. So was, what was your walk up? Do you have one song you used? Yeah, I had. It was called Blow Me Away from Breaking Benjamin. All it was right. the soundtrack from Halo Two. It was actually the the trainer in AAA, Norfolk, Virginia. His name was Eric. I forget his last name. But he goes, dude, I got the best song for you closing when you get to the big leagues. You know, and I said, okay. And he, he got me the song. And back then it was like LimeWire or something. We illegally downloaded. <laughs> and um, uh, you couldn't find it on a Breaking Benjamin album until like a couple years later. And then uh, it, it, it had like monks in the beginning and some bells. And my first year closing, the Padres took the bells out because they were like too close. And I told him, I said, look, if I'm leading the saves at all-star break and I'm an (laughs) all-star, you're putting the bells back in. They're like too soon for the bell reference. Well, I said, it's totally different than Trevor Hoffman from hell's bells. It's completely different. But then I go, my name is bell. Yeah. I, you know, I always thought it had, it had to be a different, like we talked about it, such a difficult situation to take over for such like an icon in terms of San Diego. So, like, I mean, my hat's off to you because I don't, that's, that's even, 
in terms of closing, you got that to deal with, but then you're replacing, which I always, I just took it as I'm going to be the best I can be. Trevor wears a size 14 shoe. I wear a size 13 shoe. There's no way I can fill his shoes up. So therefore I can just wear my shoes. I mean, you, you did a pretty good stretch. And here's, and here's the thing is in the minor leagues, they asked me what song did I want? And there was a disco ring my bell. Yeah. So I actually played that as my ring, as my come in song. Mm -hmm. And everybody's like, my teammates were like, this is a horrible song. (laughs) It's a little little disco. I don't see you as a disco. I was, it was more of a joke, Okay. but here's the funny part. When I go on the road, that's what people would play when I came in to try to get in my head. And then my team, that's my song. Anyways, my team started realizing, dude, that's his song. Don't worry about it. It's getting him all pumped up as it is. That's great. It was like, I'm going to ring my bell. Well, hey, you so, said something that, that I was going to ask you about anyway. You said, hey, I loved it when I went to L.A. and they'd play this Journey song. Um, I was going to ask you, tell me a memory from Dodger Stadium. One of the things we love to do on this show is for guys like me who never got to to play in the bigs is to put guys on the field in Dodger Stadium. Um, you already mentioned you, you liked that about it. But what was it about? What was a memory, a story, or a big moment at Dodger Stadium where you just went, went man, I'm, I'm never going to forget this? Do you have one off the top of your mind? I'm just, I think walking on the field the first time, because I grew up going to some of the Dodger games, watching Steve Sachs, Eric Karros, um, Mondesi, and, and so many other guys and watching, you know, them beat the Giants with Will Clark and, and then seeing um, Sean Green that went to my high school at Tustin High and was a first round pick with Toronto, but then signed a big deal with um, LA and, and going to watch him play. And then just kind of being there, it was kind of for surreal because I had the Angels my cousins and my grandma lived in San Diego, so we'd go to Qualcomm. But then we used to go to Dodger Stadium once in a while. And just being there as a kid, you know, going, I want to be here one day. And then just being on the field, and that was kind of like – it was so in awe. And then I re- always remember their mound was one of the best mount- mounds out there. The bullpen was horrible, but the <laughs> mounds were awesome. And then it was always tradition for me to go to the Dodgers Stadium and have a Dodger dog oh, yeah. underneath. And everybody's like, these are horrible. I'm like, I got to have one every time I come in. But then, um, you know, the last couple of years, they used to play the – They, I know they did this my last two years or three years there. They started playing, um, like, really boring, horrible music for the visiting team during <laughs> batting so practice. True, but the yeah. first couple of years, they just played regular music. Actually, it was organ music. But then it just became like, man, they have the worst music ever for us. But I know they're doing it because that. But, I mean, the field was just – it's beautiful to be on. And it's one of the best – I don't think they get enough credit, um, Dodger Stadium, how nice the field is actually, like the outfield grass and the mound. And I can't say too much about the infield dirt, but I know about home plate and the mound is really nice. Yeah, the mound that, – that was one of the mound that – I agree with you. It's like, you know, as pitchers, like we – we have our little island. I always call it the island. We were yeah. stuck on the island by ourselves. But, like, you got to know the mounds. Like, Philly back in the day was super tall and, and steep. You could – I probably could say a mound, and, and Heath could describe what it was and what yeah, kind probably. of dirt and the color of the dirt and how easy the – you know, when you towed it up, how the dirt came out. But Dodger Stadium, man, it was, like – it was pristine. It was so great. Let's talk about the island real quick, man. So, remember the time A-Rod uh, got grounded out? ran back to the um, third base dugout between the pitcher and the mound. And I don't remember the pitcher, but he let him hear it. Like, did you guys Dallas, ever have that happen? And how would it be? Dallas Braden. Yeah. Braden. I that. yeah. So how would you guys have reacted? Did that ever happen to either of you? No, I don't think it happened to me. Yeah. I think, let's put it this way. I think there, in my, in my experience, there was two guys in baseball 
if you ever wanted an autographed ball, all you had to do was give it to the clubhouse manager or the clubhouse kid. They would take it over by the end of the series. You know, hey, can you get Derek Jeter to sign this? Can you get Heath Bell to sign this? Brett Tomko, whatever. They would send the ball over there or the jersey. It, by the end of the series, it would come back. In my experience, in my 11 years playing, there was only two guys that you had to ask them personally <laughs> to get an autograph. And then you can send the clubby over there to give it to them. One was Barry Bonds. The other one was Alex Rodriguez. So I think Alex Rodriguez was kind of, I guess, I'm going to say jerk. <laughs> Just because it was like everybody else was, it was like this unwritten rule. We're all in this fraternity together. Yeah. We're all brothers. Even Derek Jeter. We all knew like Derek Jeter probably got a million or like 50 autographs every series. Sure. And we all knew if you didn't get a ball or a jersey the first day in a three-game series or a four-game series, you weren't going to get there the second day. Like, hey, you can do this. No, we only do it for the first day. No, I get it. I respect it because he signs for everybody. And there's other people like me. You could probably come the last day of a series and I still sign because I didn't get that many. But (laughs) it's one of those things that when he crossed the mound, I think he's probably the only one that really crossed the mound. And two, I believe he was just too close to Dallas. Okay, I'm going to put you guys on the spot on this very thing. Brett, I have a great story, and you'll love this being a basketball guy, okay? So I used to, when I was in college, do these baseball card shows where the, the promoter would, would pay me and my brothers to go sit next to these famous athletes who signed autographs because they got paid by the hour, right? And it was Jose Canseco, Ernie Banks. Well, I worked with Jack Haley once. Remember him? He's an OC guy, right? Surfer. He was the center for UCLA and the Bulls on the Jordan teams. Oh, and yeah, yeah. Jack Haley once, and I said, Jack, like, man, you played with MJ, the greatest of all time. How'd that go? And he says, well, man, I, and you know Jack Haley, the late Jack Haley, shout out, passed away a couple of years ago. I'm a big fan. But he said, hey, I can sign MJ's uh, autograph better than mine. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, as a rookie on the Bulls, I was responsible for signing all the stuff in the middle of the locker room for, for Jordan. So I'm going to ask you guys to out somebody here, and you can take the high oh, road. Man. You guys ever play with anybody that had a rookie rule like that? Come on, guys. Let's just put it on the table. You already outed uh, A-Rod. Come on now. Um, yeah, I, didn't. I, I do have a story. Um, not for signing. So this is all hearsay. I'm not going to say it was, it's completely true or not, but um, there was rumors back in the day, Pete Rose. Um, there was someone uh, – around the clubhouse that could mimic his <laughs> autograph and they would just sit and sign balls simultaneously and throw them in a, in a trash uh, can and they just, and then they were dispersed. So I think there's a documentary I, on this somewhere. <laughs> I do actually, I do actually have a forged Pete Rose ball in my collection. Did he confirm that for you? <laughs> just, just because, cause I went to the guy and said, dude, you got to sign me a Pete Rose uh, autograph. <laughs> just so, cool. Yeah. So um, hopefully it's a long time ago and Pete's out of baseball. So I don't think it matters. Only on the Dodger dude. And Brett has a real one and a fake one. So he can compare them and show people the right. real versus the fake one. That guy must've made a lot of money off this. <laughs> I just personally think it's really weird because, like, if you ever look at um, Greg Maddox's signature, um, Ichiro, or, you can't um, you can't even read them. Derek Jeter, it, it's like a bunch of circles. Yeah, can't even <laughs> like, read them. How is that a signature? The uh, signature. The, the funny thing, we'll talk about an autograph and uh, the two that you talked about that wouldn't sign. There was a third one, Randy Johnson. He was the same way. If you didn't specifically go up and talk to him and say, hey, Randy, could you please sign a ball? He wouldn't do it. When, I, Randy signed a ball for me, but jerseys he would not. Really? His autograph is perfectly legible. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a, like every single letter. Um, it's a really good autograph. I, I, have, I have like a, 
kind of a idiot savant. I'll use that term idiot quite, yeah. quite loosely, but I have a thing that I can look at autographs and, and like tell who they are. Okay. It's That's one of these, cool. it's one of these talents that no one knows about. I got but, a couple yeah. on my wall. I need your help with and Yeah. Uh, next time I'm there, dude, I'll, <laughs> I'll just, I'll pick them off. It's, it's one of the things that I, think I have on my wall, right? I have about a hundred of them, most of them hall of famers and Matt would just think, you know, as he, as he's in different clubhouses, get them for me. So that's cool that you guys uh, can talk a little autographs too. It's always weird to me when the umpire leaves. Leaves, <laughs> of course you gotta sign those, right? Right. Grandson or whatever. Hey, hey I signed them all. I signed. I signed everything. I signed. I mean, I tried to sign for kids as as, as yeah, much I, as I could. I signed so much that you know the autographs that you're talking about. You sit, you know, and people would pay you by the hour to to sign. Yeah. I actually asked an autograph guy for some because he was getting like Chase Headley, and I'm like. I'm kind of the star in San Diego and he's going after other guys. I'm like, why don't you ever ask me to do it? And he goes, it's easy to get your signatures, show up to the game and go ask them. <laughs> These other guys, they never sign. It's not the rare, it's not I, the and, rare signature. Yeah. So I was like, well, I'm not going to make a fortune, you know, selling my signature. We talked about uh, your brother, Matt's uh, baseball cards and my baseball cards, how much they're worth on, on eBay. So uh, Heath Bell autograph, I don't know. It's, it's, it's gotta oh, be so you're way better than us we're maybe. like a, we were like 27 cents maybe i think These are autograph cards, <laughs> okay i'm 27 cents for a regular card hey this has been awesome discussion with uh two great pitchers uh with a lot of national league west experience my co-host brett tomko and our guest heath bell thanks so much for uh uh joining us as listeners in part one of this two-part episode we'll be back with more from heath and man the conversation just gets better thanks so much guys we'll talk to you in a few Thanks for tuning in to the Dodger Dudes Show with the former Dodger pitcher Brett Tomko and Josh the Duker Luke. Whether you're at the stadium, on your couch, or at work, don't forget to interact with the hosts on social media at the Dodger Dudes on Twitter and Facebook. That's the Dodger Dudes on both Twitter and Facebook. Check out other SoCal sports podcasts at Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. Now go vote on our Twitter and Facebook fan poll and tune in again soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.